All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys. I will do it. There you go. Thanks, Nino. Man, it's good seeing uh, the teens in the building. Last week when I when I preached, the teens weren't here. You look well rested coming from the lock-in. I know some parents woke up at like 5.15 in the morning to go pick up their kids last Sunday. And so I've got a lot of respect for that. So let me, uh, I'm going to jump right into it. Our lesson today, Phil said we're talking about prayer. And that, that's part of what we're talking about. But I want to put things in a bigger context. But before we share that, I've got some good news to share from the campus ministry. Is that cool with you? This week was our kickoff week for the spring. And so our students uh, just started their spring semester again. And we decided, hey, people are transitioning in from different schools. People are figuring out what clubs they're going to be a part of. This is an amazing opportunity for us to share our faith, to get on campus. And so this week was a very busy week, an encouraging week, and a lot of great things happened on campus. But one thing that's really cool is that today, immediately after this, I'm going to go back to the Clifton High School service because there's a young student from Montclair State named Daniel getting baptized today. So if you, I, I'm literally, I'm going to post and ghost. I'm going to, I'm going to preach what I got to say, and then you're going to see me walk out the back door. So if you have any encouragement for me, give it to my mom, because that's where I got it all from. All right. Some other cool things is our, uh, our leadership group in the campus ministry decided that this week we were going to share our faith with 1200 students on campus. And it was like, really? Okay. Right. And we get on campus, we begin sharing our faith. And by Thursday, we had shared our faith with 1,600 people. But just, the, I mean, numbers don't matter, but think about that. 1,600 people were given the opportunity and the, you know, to read the Bible or to grow in their relationship with God. And it's one thing for the ministers to do that. It's kind of our job. But what's really inspiring is when the disciples in the campus ministry really go, no, I, I am a disciple maker too. And so seeing Pete Usher right here in the front, Pete uh, came to the counting the cost study with Daniel. And then immediately after that study texted me and said, he was so inspired. He's like, Matt, can you come on my campus and, and walk with me and show me how to share my faith? Isn't that awesome? One of our young students, Daniel Veloso, who is a, a, saw, a junior at NJIT, was, I mean, he's a great kid, huge heart. And after class, we're like, all right, man, you're going to head home. It's like, no, I've got about four hours. Can I share my faith with you guys? I was like, dude, that's inspiring. And God is blessing the campus ministry. God is blessing the church in some really special ways. And so today, I'm going to talk a little bit about what, what ought to inspire us and fuel us. But uh, when you guys hear the word radical, uh, what's your immediate reaction? Being radical. On the edge. Nice. Anybody else? When you hear the word radical, what do you think? Scary, extreme, bold. I like that. Okay. For me, I'll just share from my perspective. When I hear the word radical, I immediately interpret that as pressure. Oh my gosh. I got to do something that's uncomfortable. It scares me a little bit. And, uh, and, and, but if you think about Jesus's life and his ministry, Jesus was by definition a radical person. He was anti the culture. He was, I mean, he really was what the culture ought to have been, but it had drifted so far 
but Jesus was the one living the lane. He held what was fundamentally true. And as disciples of Jesus, that is by definition, we ought to be radical people as well. Now, I say that not to pressure you, but our theme for our campus ministry this semester is red, radical every day. And you look at that and go, okay, that's cool. But why are we radical? It's because we focus on the red letters of Jesus. That's what makes us radical, right? And as we're working with our students and helping them grow more into the likeness of Jesus, something that hit me that I had to realize, and I'll share with us also, is that being radical every day is not the pursuit. Instead, it is the result of a life obsessed with Jesus. You can't help but live radically when all you want to do is love Jesus and be like him. I'll go and do and live and love when it's all about him. A lifestyle that is inspiring, a lifestyle that has great impact comes as a result. And so today, as we're digging into the scriptures, we're going to open our Bibles. Feel free to open with me to Luke chapter 10. And we want to live an inspiring, radical life. We want to grab discipleship and the life that we're living by the horns. We want to experience it. We don't want mediocrity. We don't want to, like, you know, hobble into heaven. We want to stroll into heaven boldly with God. But if we're not careful, sometimes we can put the cart before the horse. Sometimes we could try and prop up and do all the things that we want to do as disciples to be inspiring, to have an impact. But if we're not careful and we put the cart before the horse, that's going to be a very short-lived thing. It might actually result in burnout. But Jesus's way, his plan is one of vibrancy where we won't burn out because he didn't burn out. And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we're going to read the story of Martha and Mary together. And it's a story that you're familiar with, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to start in verse 38. I shared a little bit of this with our college students, and I was preaching to the men. And I said, bros, today we are going to learn from some women. Come on, because you can learn from women in the Bible, amen? But I was like, if it makes you uncomfortable, instead of Martha and Mary, you've got Martin and Maurice, right? And they that didn't last long. I was just kidding, right? But anyway, so we're going to look at the story of Martha and Mary, and it's going to help us focus on what God really wants us to focus on. So I'm going to need your help here. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Yes, amen. Who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to stop. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, as we read the scriptures, especially for, for some of us, I just celebrated my 12th spiritual birthday. As we read the scriptures, and maybe we read the same scriptures over and over again, 
I found that what's helpful is reading the scripture from a different perspective. As we read, sometimes it's like just watching the fourth wall from you know the, the audience's perspective. But what if you put yourself in the story and you were watching from Martha's perspective or you were watching from the disciples' perspective? How would you interact? What would you think, right? If I was a disciple or an apostle sitting in Martha's living room watching, Martha goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I need help. And my sister's just sitting here doing nothing. Can you help me by helping her help me, right? Can you go send her to go do something with me? If I was an apostle, I would look at that and go, geez, I don't care as long as I get my food, right? It's like, what's the big deal? If you think about it from Martha's perspective, Martha has a really big deal in her living room. And so she needs as much help as possible. And so she's frantic and wants to make things special. You know, in, um, in the context of Luke chapter 10, Jesus here sends out the 72. Jesus sends out the 72 into the countryside to help find people who are gonna be worthy people. And he defines what a worthy person looks like. And let's be honest, a worthy person looked exactly like Martha. He said, I'm going to send you out. Look for somebody who's going to open up your home to you indefinitely. Look to someone who's going to feed you and take care of you. And they found Martha, and that must have been a godsend. I was like, she's the girl. Martha is the worthy person. Martha is amazing. And so as we look at the story of Mary and Martha, it's easy to like rag on Martha, but she's actually exactly who they were looking for. And so as they're going and Jesus is in the home, we look from Jesus's perspective. Jesus, and I love that he does this, he calms her and says, Martha, Martha, you're doing a lot of things, but you're not doing the thing that's most important. And Mary is doing what is most important. Man, I feel for Martha. Martha just had 13 grown Middle Eastern men show up in her house and asking for food and going to hang out indefinitely. And she opens up her house. But Jesus says to her, you're doing something great, but you're missing the most important thing. We want to have the heart of Mary today. We want to have the heart that isn't just busy with all the good things, but is busy with the thing that matters the most. Amen? You know, and this is this idea that Jesus says to to Mary, saying, or to Martha rather, that Mary is doing the only one thing is necessary. This idea is, is really revolutionary for me. And even as I read this, I have a hard time swallowing Jesus's words, right? Why? Because I think about Mary, you know, I've got a, a couple of Mary's figures in my life. And I look at Mary and I go, man, Mary was a hippie. Mary was like a flower child. There was work to be done and she was just chilling with the teacher. I think she was selfish. She was inconsiderate. There's work to be done. She's just sitting there. If I was Martha, I might respond, okay, Mary, that's cute and all, but like, get up, we have to go to work. And Mary's like, nah, I'm good, right? But there's something about the spirit of Mary that Jesus loves. Where Martha was focused on the micro, 
Mary was focused on the macro. Where Martha was focused on the tree, Mary was focused on the forest. Where Martha saw the immediate, Mary saw the big picture. And that's why they responded accordingly. And so church, the question I want to present before us this morning is who is Jesus to you this morning? How do you view Jesus this morning? Again, using, you know, I'm, I'm a bit out there in the way that I read the scriptures. I kind of have like, I, I belt all over the place. But, you know, when I read Martha's perspective, this, this is a little bit of how I think she might have responded, right? Jesus is in her living room. She goes, Jesus, the teacher is in my living room. Jesus, the prophet is in my living room. I got to do my best. I got to bring out the fine china, the best meal. I have to be the best host for such an honorable guest. He deserves only the best. I've got the, the, a bunch of guys here. This needs to be excellent. Hey, where, where's Mary? I need some help. Maybe that was Martha's perspective. Maybe it wasn't, but let's just assume maybe that was Martha's perspective. I've got Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the prophet, this amazing man is in my house. But if we stop and consider Mary's perspective, I think Mary's perspective was a bit different. Mary doesn't say the teacher, the prophet is in my living room. She says, God is in my living room. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is right here with me. I mean, what on earth could I get God? He made the earth food. He just took five fish and loaves of bread and fed 5,000 people. And it was good. I mean, I have nothing to offer him. I literally have nothing of value to give God. So instead, I'm going to receive. I'm going to sit here and receive from God to sit at his feet and learn. You know, church, Mary's perspective was so beautiful because she realized I have nothing of value to offer God. Do you have anything of value to offer God? Seriously, is there anything that you have that God doesn't have that he was lacking because you didn't give it to him? No, right? You know, we might think I shared my faith today or this week with 10 people, a whole 10. I didn't cheat on my test or for many of us, our taxes. I didn't cheat as many other people were actually doing that. You know, I haven't missed a midweek or a church service in months. I, yes, I give contribution, right? We can look and go, well, God, look at all the good things that I'm doing for you. And please don't take what I'm saying and go, hey, Phil, hey, Leslie, Matt said I don't have to come to church anymore. That's not what I'm saying, right? God values these things. He thinks these things are really important, but it's almost like the equivalent of a father and their son or a mother and their, their son. It's like the equivalent of, of a kid making a hamburger out of Play-Doh for their dad. You know, it's like the kid makes the hamburger for his dad out of Play-Doh and goes, dad, I hope you enjoy it. And he's beaming and he's so happy. And, you know, the father doesn't respond with joy because he was hungry. 
he responds with great joy because he's spending time with his son and daughter. You know, God looks at the good deeds and the things that we do, and he's not proud of us because of what we did. He's, he's just happy to be with us. That's all he wants. And that was Mary's perspective. Mary's like, I got nothing to offer you. I just want to be with you. And Jesus goes, she's got it. And that's got to be the spirit that we try to emulate. Is yeah, we're going to do great things. And yeah, we're going to serve and love all of that. But are you sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning and listening? You know, Acts chapter 17, a scripture we're very familiar with. Acts chapter 17, Paul goes into Athens and sees all these different altars to these different gods. He sees an altar to the sun god, the moon god, the fertility god. He sees an altar to an unknown god. These people were just kind of shooting blanks to heaven, hoping that something catches. But Paul steps up and goes, let me explain to you who our God truly is and what he wants. And so in verse 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that we would seek him perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The people, similar to Martha, the people in Athens didn't quite get who God was and what he wanted. They figured, I can build the temple. I can do X, Y, and Z. That's what God wants. But Paul reminds them at the most fundamental, for many of us, this might have been the first scripture we read ever. We're reminded that God put us right here, right now, so that we could seek him and find him and have a relationship with him. You know, you are right here, right now, not by accident, not by coincidence, but because this is the most effective and efficient place for you to find God. God has been curating your life, putting people in your life, putting neighbors in your life, putting the church in your life, this, that, and the third, all so that you could turn and seek and have a relationship with him. That's all he wants. That's what he calls us to prioritize. And so church, we do so many things, but we run the risk of not doing the most important thing, the one thing that matters. And for us, it's to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his word, amen? You know, people say that we need revival. You ever heard that? People say that in the church, we need revival. Well, what we really need is to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. People say that we need unity. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. We need repentance. We need to reach the world. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. We need to serve the poor. Yes, 
We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. We need more dating couples in the church. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. People need better friendships. People say we need to fix our purity. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. That's what we need. From that epicenter of a close-knit, fought-for relationship with God flows all things. And so church, as we're trying to focus on being, yes, radical, we want to have an impact in our workplace and in our families and our friends. We want to serve the poor and make such a big difference. But it always starts at making every effort to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his word. You know, there's a quote by a, a Chinese philosopher back in, in 530 BC. His name is Lao Tse. I'm a, that's my best shot at that. Lao Tse. And he says, to know, but not to do, is not to know. To know, but not to do, is not to know. We know a lot of things. <laughs> Sometimes we know too much for our bad selves, right? We know a lot of things. But the philosopher says, if we know but don't do them, we don't truly know it. We know that it's so important to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his word. But if we take an analysis of our week, how are we doing truly sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word? I feel so blessed and privileged to grow up with the parents that I did. You know, I, I was giving a shout out to my mom earlier, and I could just stand up here and cry how grateful I am for her. But um, my mom and her husband, Greg, my stepdad, now you know Greg Blank, I remember waking up on my way to school every morning. I hit the bus at some ungodly hour because that's how high schools do it, to torture their children. But it was like 6.45, eh, maybe 6.15 in the morning. And I remember walking down the stairs and to the left in our living room, I remember every morning Greg sitting in his chair with a little light on, reading his big blue Bible. And that was such a powerful example for me of what it looks like to prioritize and seek God first. You know, parents, for those of you who are sitting here this morning, your greatest asset is your example. And I want to encourage you, if you're going to prioritize anything, I love what Sam said about really the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. But really, I think your example of setting the example of I'm just going to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn, that's the greatest gift that you can give your children. That's the greatest gift for us we can give our coworkers is setting an example of being a person who, whether they see it or not, they're reading the Bible because your life is the Bible. But you sit down and read God's word and tear into it and love it. You know, there's so much more I could say about this. I'm not going to because I'm going to bring this in for a landing because I got to go baptize somebody. But, you know, there's people like Martha, those who diligently and with the best intention serve God, but without adding the one thing, a continued focus on Jesus. And it results in great frustration. But then there's the people like Mary, the heart that we're trying to imitate, those who know how to serve and how to also sit at the feet of Jesus. Amen? The one thing, 
In Psalm 27, verse 4, I love that this is a concept beyond just Mary and Martha. This is the heart of David as well. David says in Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I have, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And David's heart was, I just want to be of God. I just want to see God. I want to sit in his temple all day long and just be with him. I want to connect with him. I want to be close to him. And one day without an unveiled face, I will see him. And that spirit is so inspiring. And what's so cool is that we can do that now. Brothers and sisters, how is your one thing doing? How are you doing majoring in the majors and minoring in the minors? Not minoring in the majors and majoring in the minors, but how are you doing focusing on intimacy with your king? You know, as you go, as you plan your upcoming week, I'm not going to be back next week, and so I'm going to leave it all out here. As you go planning your upcoming week, as many of you sit down and evaluate your family calendar and you look at your schedule for work and all those things, I implore you not to fit God into your schedule, but to fit your schedule into God. To look at your week and the first thing you do before your meetings, before your, you know, let's just say it, before midweek, before all these different things, to look over the course of your week. This is what I'm going to do this week. To look over the course of my week and say, is this a week that looks like Mary's week? Is this the week where I sat down and I made time for God? You know what? I might need to wake up at 6.15 like a ratchet high school student again, right? I might need to do that. I might need to wake up. Or You're not calling the high school students ratchet. Please understand. I'm just saying like terrible hour in the morning. I might need to wake up early and make time to do that again. I might need to, first thing I do when I leave the office, just sit in my car and pray for 10 minutes before I get home to my family. I want to encourage you to look at your week this week and have a week that really resembles and lifts up the heart of Mary. Let's prioritize God and stick close to him. Let's pray together as we close out. Our Father, what an amazing invitation you've given us to be close to you. I mean, we, we me, we are, we've got problems and we've got shortcomings. And we just are so imperfect. <laughs> I want to be better, God. But I recognize that by putting the right things first, you will work powerfully through us. Father, we desire, as David said, to seek your face, to be close to you. Lord, help us not be distracted by all the things going on in our life, the problems and the challenges, although they are certainly there. But like it says in Matthew 6, 33, help us seek first you and your kingdom so that together we can go deal with these problems. Help us not neglect you and turn our back on you, but instead to prioritize you, fully aware that a life close to you is a life that results in what we hope for, impact, fruit, radical living with our King Jesus. We love you in your son's name we pray, amen.